The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I'm looking forward to this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. We're going to be in 1 John. Uh, 1 John 3. As always, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. If you don't own a Bible, I encourage you just take that one. Take it with you. It's yours. You, you, can, you can keep that one. Um, while you're finding your place in 1 John, um, love is a kind of a tough one. Listen, last week we talked about joy, and uh, when we talked about joy, we, we acknowledged the fact that joy is um, the most churchy word of the mix. Like, you, it's a, there's a good chance that you don't talk about joy, you don't hear about joy until Christmas. Or if you're having a conversation with a Christian who is quoting a scripture verse, like that's it. Like, you don't use this word all that, that much. It's a churchy word a little bit. This morning, love is the opposite. Love is the most common word of the mix. Um, we use love all the time, and we use it in all kinds of different ways. Um, and it almost, we mean it, we use it to mean everything and nothing, um, I mean, you don't have to think hard about this. I'm sure you've thought about this, but like, I love tacos. I love our church. I got an amen. Um, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love riding bikes. I love Jesus. I love Christmas. I love Elf. <laughs> and of course, I love coffee. Here's the crazy thing. All those things are true, and all of them mean something totally different. I mean, in what world, the English language... It's crazy, because in what world can I love tacos and God is love be the same word, right? It's just, it's, it's crazy, and, and the English language doesn't help us at all in this, um, and it causes us, again, to use this word for almost anything and for it to mean almost nothing. And uh, this morning, if the challenge last week was that we're looking at an uncommon idea, the challenge this week is we're looking at a common idea of love. It's almost the opposite challenge. And one more thing before we get into our text. This week also maybe carries with it some baggage for some of you. Um, and I don't mean like, I mean theological baggage. So when you hear God is love, I know some of you go, oh, here we go. Here, here, we, here we go. Um, because unfortunately, in some contexts, when you hear God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love, we, we've used it incorrectly to negate his holiness and negate his, his, his wrath. And we've, we, we've unfortunately seen God is loved preached kind of incorrectly to, to, to mean that your God is super cool with your sin. Like, he's good, he's love. And, and he's, he's, he's cool with whatever, he's love, and then he's love, and then he's love, and then he's love, and then he's love. Like, some of you come from that context, so when you hear God is love, you might go, 
You don't mean to roll your eyes, and you might not do it where I can see you, but there might be some eye rolling with, involved in this. And, and unfortunately, there's good reason. We've come through a generation of where the mantra has been God is love, and uh, we don't, we're, we're scared to talk about sin or any of that. Instead, it's love, and we don't want to offend anyone. And, and listen, um, I don't want you to hear me wrong here. I am, um, I am not against the fact that God is love. I am not against a steady diet of God is, is love um, because our God is love. But his love and his holiness, for example, are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. They're one and the same. They're not in conflict. And so for, for those of you who may have a little bit of theological baggage around the term God is love, I encourage you to just come with an open heart and open hands this morning as we come to the word. Just come ready to, to lay that down and to hear what God has for us. Because here's, here's the reality is that what we're looking at this morning is critical and crucial and foundational uh, to the Christian faith, like period. This is one of those foundational. This is a big one. And so we're going to be examining 1 John 3. We're going to look specifically at verse 18 this morning. 1 John 3, verse 18. Uh, and uh, let me read it, and then we'll, we'll get to work together. So 1 John 3, verse 18. Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, um, right off the bat, please don't get kind of weirded out that he calls you little children. All right? Um, this is John, old man John, wise old man John, elder John, pastor John, saying this with great love and affection for the church. It's easy to see this and to think, like, how rude, how condescending, right? Um, but that's not the tone here at all. It's not the tone here at all. Instead, I want us to think about this as you read this, coming from the tone of a really wise and gentle, patient old man. As it says, little children, uh, calling us all together with this gentle, love, old man voice. That's what I want us to think about. So I know we have some kids in our service this morning, and um, what, what John is doing is putting us all in that same place. We're all children, little children, hearing from this wise, gentle Papa John that is a pizza company. I promise I didn't mean to do that. Um, it felt weird when I said it. I'm really sorry. Um, how do you come back from that? Um, all right. Little children. Uh, Little children, then he says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So I want to zoom out and get a little context here in this, in this text. So in this letter, John is calling the church to love each other. And to love each other in a way that is different from what's common in the world around them. Selfless and sacrificial love. In fact, right before in verse 17, he says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? So John here is turning his eyes to something very practical um, that we would, calling the people of God to care for each other, to love each other, to 
uh, come around the needs of each other. And in this context, it's right here when he, when he drops this on him that he then says, little children, don't love in just your empty words, but in, in deed and in truth. Meaning it's not enough to just say, hey, love you, brother. Love you, sister. But we're to love each other with our deeds, first thing. That's our actions, our choices, action, and in truth, meaning not just emptiness, empty words, selfish actions, but in words and actions that come from a place of truth. Now, I want us to pause here. I can't help but be drawn to a parable that Jesus told. And so I would, what I want to do is keep your, your finger you know, right there in, in 1 John and um, turn with me to the left if you will, to the book of Luke, Luke 10. Uh, we're coming back to 1 John, but just I want to take a brief detour in Luke 10. Um, in Luke 10, verse 25, there is the beginning of what is known, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And um, I don't know if you remember what happens in the story, but first of all, we have this lawyer, um, we have this lawyer who did not have the best of intentions at all. Um, <laughs> I heard an of course. I like that. Um, there's lawyers that I love in this room right now, so, you know, not all of them anyway. Um, but this particular lawyer was looking to test, to test Jesus. And the lawyer stands up in verse 25 and says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Again, good question, not coming from a good heart. We'll see that in a bit. But Jesus says to him, what's, what is it, what's written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus, brilliant, at answering a question with a question. So the, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Nailed it, right? Just nailed it. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you got it. You will live. End of story, right? Well, no, because the test wasn't over. Uh, we read in verse 29, he, lawyer man, desiring to justify himself and to test Jesus, says to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? And this is where this context for this really powerful story the Good Samaritan. So Jesus replies, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Terrible. Just an awful story. Now, by chance, a priest, a priest, don't miss that, a priest was going down the road, going down that road, and when he saw him, passed on the other side. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed to the other side the same. So of all the people that you want to pass by you as a Jewish man being beaten and left half dead, of all the people that you would want to come strolling down your road, when you're down and out, a priest and a Levite are top of that list. Like, that's, that's considered the luckiest thing in the world. If you just got beaten and then a priest and a Levite come, I mean, you're in good hands. Unfortunately, no. They pass by, not only the, that, they 
scooch to the other side of the road to avoid him. It's like when you know someone's in need and maybe they're sitting on this side of the room and so you choose to sit on that back corner so you don't have to deal with it. It's kind of the, what has happened in this, in this story. Not only did they do nothing to help, but they avoided the situation entirely. They're just they're selfish. And, and, and they took the path of a coward and just avoided the whole thing. Good thing we would never do that, right? Um, but the story's not over. Verse 33, there is another, but a Samaritan as he journeyed. I love the verbiage here. The other one's scooched to the other side of the road. The, the verbiage here is came to where he was. It's kind of an opposite response here. The first two avoided, he engaged. But the Samaritan, as he joined, it came to where he, where he was. And when he saw him, he had, he had compassion. Now, um, I don't have time to go into all the details here. But if the first two dudes were the ones you wanted to come, this dude is the opposite. In this context, um, the Jewish people and Samaritans, there was a huge deal of racism. They despised each other. Absolutely despised each other. Again, priest, Levite, yes, please. Samaritan, bleh. <laughs> Jesus picked this on purpose. He told the story intentionally. So it was a Samaritan, though, who has compassion, not just in, uh, you know, word or sentiment, like, oh, sorry about that, but in compassion, in action and deed. Verse 34, went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil, wine. He sat him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and to take care of him, it's not over, verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, What? Ever more you need to spend, I will repay you when I come back. And what a story. So here's the thing. In order to understand this parable, though, and in order to understand 1 John, which we're coming back to that, um, I think we need to see this from at least two perspectives. Um, it's easy to jump to the perspective of the guys walking by like either the priest or the Levite or the Samaritan. It's easy to put ourselves in, our, in their shoes, and I think it's important that we do that, just not first. So that's perspective number two. But before we get there, I want us to first put ourselves in the perspective of the man who was beaten, robbed, and left half dead. Let's start off in his shoes. So scripture says that we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of that sin is death. Scripture says that we were dead in our sins, dead, dead in our sins, completely dead in our sins. So in so many ways, we are far worse off than the man in this story who was half dead. You're not half dead. You're fully dead. You're dead, dead. In so many ways, we are worse off than this. And so scripture paints this picture of just an awful condition that we are beaten, left on the side of the road by, the, by sin, by the enemy. It's not pretty. Scripture says that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And here we are, like the man at the hands of the robber, left in this awful condition, dead on the side of the road, bleeding, awful, at the hands of the enemy. And right there in the midst of that, 
we come to Advent. We read in Scripture that also tells us about the one who came across the road to save. Scripture tells us Advent, Christmas, Jesus came to his enemy. We as sinners being enemies of God, he, he crosses the road. Scripture tells us he did not leave us to die on the other side of the road, but had compassion for God so loved the world that he came, gave his only son. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the word incarnate, but I'm going to use it a lot this morning. Um, incarnate is this idea, the truth that God did not love us from a distance. It's, it, he didn't love us by like yelling from the other side of the road, hey, I hope that gets better. Good luck with that. The word incarnate is the word that we use to describe the fact that Jesus came down and put on flesh to dwell among us. Came to our side of the road, describing the way that our God is not distant, the way that our God came down to rescue us, not half dead, dead, dead. Incarnate love is the love that reaches down into the mud and the pain. It's love not in word, but in action, in deed, in truth. Incarnate love that Jesus would step into our mess and our pain like the good Samaritan, our good Savior, rescues us. And in fact, I, I want to come back to our text in, in 1 John, just a few verses before this in 1 John three sixteen, says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. This is incarnational love, love with skin on it. We know his love because he came because he, he was born to die for us. We know his love because he gave himself at such great cost. We know his love because like the good Samaritan, he did not just bark from the other side of the road, hope you're doing better. But he stepped in, showed his love, demonstrating his love. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated or showed his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. That is incarnational love. Advent is all about the arrival of Jesus. Incarnational love. Love putting on flesh and demonstrating itself through action. I, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for this. But I'm also grateful that our God did not just write us a letter saying, hey, I love you. I'm grateful that he didn't just yell from across the street, love you. The gospel, the good news, what this tells us is that Christ came, incarnational, demonstrated love. Love indeed and truth. Our text says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, Love them the way Christ loved you. Love them 
the way Christ loved you, not just in word or talk, but Christ loved you to the manger. Christ loved you to the cross. Christ loved you to the tomb. Christ loved you in deed and in truth. And he crossed the road for you. And from that place, now, from that place, understanding that, now John says, little children. Those who have known the incarnational love, it's time to show incarnational love to them. In the story of the Good Samaritan, the first two men decided to avoid the situation altogether, walk to the other side of the street, distance themselves from the needs of the brother. But the Samaritan was different. He chose to step in. He chose to come to. He chose to come into the pain knowing, don't miss this, is going to be costly. Coming across that street was going to cost the Good Samaritan something. First of all, just his time. It's not convenient ever when you got somewhere to go and someone over here is hurting. It's never the convenient thing to do to pause and to go and to engage. It's never convenient. So it was going to cost him his time. It's going to cost him his resources. Um, it was going to be costly. The church incarnational love is costly. Incarnational love is costly. Just as Jesus stepped into the mess of humanity, it was costly, incarnational love. You and I are called to love like Jesus loved and to step into the mess of each other's lives. You guys are messy. (laughs) Incarnational love is costly, and you are called to count that cost and to follow Jesus. To love like Jesus. Now let's look at John's words and let's kind of take them all together. So verse 16, by this we know love that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. To be like Jesus, love like Jesus, incarnational love like Jesus. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it's like our parable this morning yet closes his heart against him or walks to the other side of the street, avoids him on the other side of the street. Listen to what John asked. How does God's love abide in him? How does God's love abide in him? How does the love of God, the incarnational love of God, the selfless giving of ourselves love, how does that perfect love, incarnational love abide in this person? How does the incarnational love of God abide in him when he is not showing incarnational love for his brothers and for his sisters? That's John's question. And so John asks, how does God's love abide in him? And it's right after this question, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Incarnational love. You are called to you are called to be the people who do not go to the other side of the street. You are called to be the people who do not avoid. You are called to be the people who have compassion. Because God has had compassion on you. You are called to be the people who get down in the pain and the mess of each other's lives because your God stepped into the pain and the mess of yours. 
You were called to get out of yourself and your selfishness to pour yourself out for others. The most cliche thing that we hear around Christmas is the saying, um, it's better to give than to receive. It is absolutely a true statement. The gospel, though, adds it and takes it just a, a, a little bit deeper than that, though. It's, it's, it's better to give because we have already received. We have already received. Someone has already come across the street for us. That's already happened. And our, our call now is to love in action because we have been loved in action. We are to demonstrate God's love because his love has been demonstrated to us. That is, that is our call. Now, I want to clarify just something real quick in 1 John. Um, this text here is, is a text to love, and, and absolutely, it's a text to love the world, right? To love those out there, to see those who are hurting in the community out there, and to love them, absolutely. To see the needs of our community, absolutely. But John's main point, contextually here, is not out those doors, it's inside. It's in here. It's in our church family. And woo, I would argue that most often that's harder. It, it can be so much more messy to love family. It can be so much more difficult to love in here, to demonstrate love in here, to, to let people in when you need help, and to step out of your own bubble to see when others need help in here. That is so much and can be so much harder. The, the, the call is to love them out there, yes, but specifically, John here is calling us together to love in here and to love in such a way that would cause them out there to see that crazy love and think, whoa, they must be different. This is the way we're called to love. So I want to ask a couple questions, and these are going to be really basic questions. Um... They're going to sound really basic. They are not easy questions. They're important questions. Our call is to be the people who cross the street for each other. So here's some questions. Are you praying for them? Question number one. Now, when you hear that, um, I am not just talking about saying, hey, praying for you. Not just talking about that. I'm not just talking about saying, like, from the other side of the street, praying for you. Not talking about that either. I am talking about true intercessory prayer for each other. Praying for them like that is loving them, is engaging with them is crossing the street for them. It is incarnational because you are entering into the messiness of their life through prayer. Again, I'm not just talking about the, hey, I'm praying for you and then actually not praying for you. Honestly, that is the Christian, the, ex the more acceptable Christian way to avoid someone. 
not talking about that. I'm talking about real prayer for them where we are entering in and praying for them, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and caring enough to, for it to break your normal flow and to just get on your knees for them. Are you praying for them? There will be times, church, when that is the only thing available for you to do. And in fact, like 90% of pastoral ministry falls into that camp. Praying for them. Are you praying for them? Are you praying for them by name? Are you in their mess with them? Which leads to the second question, do you know them? Do you know them? It's so difficult to, to cross the street to pray for them even when you don't know them. You just don't know them. One of the greatest ways that we can walk to the other side of the street, one of the greatest ways that, actually, I'll go the opposite. One of the greatest ways that we can not walk across the street, one of the greatest ways that we can avoid walking across the street is just simply not engaging. Just simply not engaging um, or choosing to get to know people. Um, if we're able to stay slightly disengaged, slightly disengaged, if we're able to stay slightly disengaged, if we're able to remain in our bubbles, if we're able to stay right, right here, busy with us, we're busy. Like, if we're able to stay in our own bubbles and stay busy with ourselves, we won't even know them, and then we're off the hook. We don't even need to walk across the street. We don't even see them. When all we see is ourselves, we don't see them. And that's a avoidance 101. Just don't know them. Listen, incarnational love. Love cannot be incarnational when we are in isolation. When we're in isolation, the only one that we have to look around and love is ourselves. And that is the most empty life. It's the most empty life you can possibly imagine. The greatest obstacle to love indeed is ourselves. The greatest obstacle that we have to love others is our obsession with loving ourselves. That would lead us to see only our stuff. Only our needs, only our craziness, only our mess. And we see it, and that's all we see, and we, it's all we see, and we go through life like this, and we don't see those hurting on the other side of the road. We avoid. Church, incarnational love, the love we see demonstrated in Christ, the love we're called to, calls us to step out of that, to step out of our bubbles, and I know it's going to be difficult to love them, but it's impossible to love them well when you don't know them. It's, it's, it's impossible to have incarnational love when you don't even see them or know what they're facing. God, I will say this again, did not love you from across the street saying, hope you get better. That looks painful. Hope it gets better. Praying for you. He stepped in, had compassion, and knows us. We're called to have that same love for each other. Do you know them? And if not, this is kind of question to be, are you willing to know them? Is, 
here is the guarantee of the morning. They are some of the messiest people you will ever meet. They really are. I, um, I, I would love to say church people are less messy. We're not. And if we look like we're not, we're lying. What we are is messy people who just know how good our great God is. We are messy people who know the grace of God. We stand under the gospel. That's what we are. That is what we are. But man, we're messy sometimes. And knowing them is going to be costly. Getting to know them even is going to be costly. But I can guarantee you that it will be worth it. And how can I say that? Knowing all the mess, how can I say that? It's because that's what you're created for. When you do this, when you live this way, you are living in the way that your God has designed you to live. Navel gazing, which is what I call selfishness, selfish life, is not natural. A life bent in on itself is miserable. So when you push against that, you're able to live the way that we are designed to live. Giving is better than receiving. Do you know them? Are you willing to know them? Along with that, question number three, are you known by them? And I'll go ahead and add three A. Are you willing to be known by them? Second guarantee of the morning, you are messy. And you know you're messy. You, you know. I stand up here as a, as a messy man, a sinner saved by the grace of God, and I am a mess, and you are too. And letting me into your life, I want to say is going to be a great value add to you. <laughs> Letting this guy into your life is going to bring mess into your life. I guarantee it. You've, uh, you've probably heard this before, but uh, if you're looking for a perfect church, you will never find it. And if you do find it, do not join it because you will mess it up. There's so much truth to that. We are... Messy. Letting you in is going to bring mess into the people's lives around you. Some of us are far better at like dealing with and being compassionate with the mess of others. But when it comes to our own mess, no, they cannot see it. Don't let them see it. But we've, 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 sometimes we'd rather keep our pain in our mess and our in our craziness behind closed doors rather than kind of spilling on someone man we've missed it so the beauty of the gospel is not that we're all great people the beauty of the gospel is that Christ stepped into the mess and the beauty of the gospel is that he now gives us the call to step into the mess of each other and when we do that we're actually living into our purpose we're actually becoming the people of God. The church 
this is our calling. This is incarnational. Incarnational love thrives in your mess. It thrives in my mess. And here's the thing. Just, uh, there are few things more destructive to true gospel community than good old rugged individualism that would lead you to think, you know what? I got this. I got this. And when I get it together, then I'll be back, pastor. I hear that all the time. All the time. I'm struggling with something right now, pastor. When I get it together, I'll be back. That is a great indication that we do not know what the gospel is. We have missed it. Just as love can't be incarnational when we're in isolation, love can also not be incarnational when, we're, when we prize and when we celebrate that rugged individualism that says, you know what, I'm good. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them what's pretty, and I'm going to show them my Instagram filters. I'm going to project that. Nothing destroys true gospel community like that. Incarnational cannot, uh, incarnational love, it does not thrive in a world of pretty Instagram filters. The fake world that we project to hide our messiness. And listen, I'm not proposing that right now we're going to put this mic down here. We're going to have open mic night where you just come up and share all your mess. Okay? I'm not. If you've been through that, don't know. That's not what I am saying. But what I am saying is that central to who you are as a human being created in the image of God is to know and be known. It is central to who you are. Incarnational love is knowing and being known. And the two biggest hindrances to incarnational love in the church today, the two biggest hindrances is, number one, avoiding instead of knowing. So if you think back to our, the parable, walk into the other side of the street, hindrance number one. Hindrance number two is hiding or projecting instead of being known. Um, in other words, if you think about our parable, it would be like the man who's beating and half dead, just, I'm good. Like, I got this. It's, it's good. Like, I, don't worry about me. I got this. That just kills true community and incarnational love. When it all boils down to it, avoiding instead of knowing, that's just selfishness. That's all it is. Boils down to a heaping pile of selfishness. On this side, projecting instead of being known, that's just pride. It boils down to a heaping pile of pride. And incarnational love pierces through that and calls us to lay down our own selfishness and pride to not avoid or project, but to enter in just as Jesus entered in. To love like Jesus means that we enter in and we embrace the messiness with grace. And we love in deed and in truth. 
I'll push it even further. When you're in a true church community and all of a sudden things get weird and some person says something dumb, that's how you know you're doing it right. And that's like, it could sound like bad news. It's not, though. It means that you're in enough to know them and to enter into a mess with them. And it's worth it. It is worth it. I think in this past season of life, we have gotten really used to living virtually with each other. And projecting has been something we're really good at, and avoiding has been something we are really good at. Like, you can avoid anything these days if you want to. We've gotten really good at this. And what it's done is it's hurt. It's hurt. You don't have to look very hard. You can look at yourself, but you can look statistically. This has hurt our ability to be human beings created in the image of God. Too few people know about your mess these days. And we know about the messiness of our world, but do we know about the messiness of our brothers and sisters? I want to bring us all together as as we close. For all of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, listen, you know that your God loves you. And the way you know this is because you have seen the beauty of Jesus and you know and you trust Jesus, the incarnate word of God, who love putting on flesh for you, dwelling among us, born and lived the perfect life you cannot live and died the death you deserved and rose conquering death, hell, and the grave and gave you victory in all your messiness, in all your brokenness. We know and we believe and we rest in the fact that your God loves you and that he demonstrated his great love for you through Jesus. We stand on that. We know that. And now from that place, from that place of knowing and resting in that truth, we now, church, get the joy of counting the cost and following Jesus, putting our love into action, incarnational love like Jesus. This week in this Christmas season, I can't believe it, this week is Christmas week, right? Um, in this season, even today, even today, how can you demonstrate that kind of love to your brothers and sisters? Instead of avoiding, how can you step out and step into their lives? Instead of projecting, How can you let someone in? How can you demonstrate incarnational love to your church family in this season? How can we demonstrate the incarnational love of Jesus that says not love in word or talk, but as John says, instead, how can we love in deed and in truth? Thank you.